Good morning. Welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. Coming up this hour, we've got our update here, our monthly update with the National Bio and Agri Defense Facility. Plus, a little later on, uh, we will not have uh, Perry Wiggins here today. We instead have uh, some guests from the League of Women Voters of Riley County and uh, the K State Institute for Civic Discourse and Democracy. Uh, so we'll be doing that here around 9.30 to uh, the t- top of the hour. But we start things off here as we do each month on the first Thursday with NBAF. And uh, joining us, we have three guests via telephone. Dr. Ken Burton is with us, NBAF Deputy Director. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Brandon. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. It's opening day for the Royals, so it's uh, one of my favorite days of the year. And That's great. And we have Katie Pulaski, NBAF Communications Director, joining us here this morning. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Brandon. Yeah, definitely enjoying the, the, the sunny spring morning here. So thanks for having us. You bet. Uh, each month we have a, a special guest that joins us here on these NBAF segments. And today it's uh, Dr. Chad Meir, Research Leader for the Foreign Arthropod-Born Animal Disease Research Unit, also known as Fabadru. Is, is that right? Uh, good morning, Brandon. Yes, thank you. Uh, Papa Drew is correct. Okay. I um, uh, appreciate you having me. Absolutely. There's so many uh, acronyms, it seems like, in government, and uh, your unit's name is uh, certainly a mouthful. What exactly does Papa Drew do? <laughs> yeah, there definitely are a lot of acronyms in the uh, U.S. government, but it is a mouthful, um, and uh, it's one of the four agricultural research service units. Uh, that will all eventually be at uh, NBAS. Uh, Animal Plant Health and Inspection Service will also have additional units or sections here at NBAS. And uh, we, we're, we're here to study and find ways to stop or, or prevent foreign orthopod-borne animal diseases from causing disease in livestock here in the USDA and possibly uh, in people. And so what I mean by orthopod-borne uh, virus or disease, that's something that's transmitted by insects or ticks. So, like mosquitoes and, and ticks, for instance. Okay. And uh, what we'll do here is we'll focus mainly on two diseases in the Fabadru um, unit, and uh, that would be Rift Valley Fever virus. Uh, it's a virus that comes out of, you know, the areas in Africa where the Rift Valley Fever is, um, and then uh, Japanese encephalitis virus. And uh, both of these are transmitted by mosquitoes. And why they're important for MBAF is Rift Valley Fever can infect cattle, sheep, and goats. And uh, Japanese encephalitis virus can infect horses, donkeys, and pigs. Uh, you know, and when I was trying to explain to my son what we would be doing here while we're moving uh, from Texas to come to Kansas to work on this, um, you know, he really kind of just boiled it down into, well, so you're going to save America's bacon. <laughs> um, but, you know, these viruses can also spread from animals to people as well. So that's also another important factor in that. We call those zoonotic diseases. Um, but really, if we can stop the virus, from spreading from an arthropod to an animal or from animal to human, then we can stop the transmission to people and stop it, you know, earlier in its tracks. But I'm really excited to be um, starting up here at NDAF. I'm really excited that the U.S. has one of these new large animal um, research units and uh, facilities that, you know, can't be done anywhere else in the nation. So really excited to be starting this work here in Manhattan. All right. Well, how did you find yourself in this line of work in the first place? Well, I grew up in Louisiana, like Baton Rouge area, and, you know, 
I think I've just had this interest in biology from the start where, you know, uh, as soon as you can start walking, they, they put a fishing pole in your hand in Louisiana, um, you know, and we always seem to have some sort of uh, animal or nature show going on. And so I was always interested in how animals worked and how, how you know, they interacted within the environment. Um, but, you know, during my undergraduate studies, I was thinking maybe I'd want to be, you know, an optometrist or ophthalmologist, something like that. But realized there was a lot of debt in it, and then as I started to do a little bit more work and get into some of the molecular side of things, I realized that you could go to graduate school and uh, that they would pay pay for you to go and do it, and so I thought that was kind of an interesting um, career path that I could take, and while I'm undergraduate, you know, I took a virology course, so started studying uh, viruses, and um you know, I learned a lot about the simplicity of them and, like, how you can use them as tools for, you know, maybe attacking cancer. We can make different vaccines out of them. And then, you know, read The, the Hot Zone, uh, a book by Richard Preston, which talks about um, Ebola virus. And, you know, this kind of set me on my trajectory to start a career in molecular virology. And really what I mean by molecular virology there is that... Um, you know, we're really kind of looking at this low, the smaller, uh, minute interactions, kind of the nuts and bolts of uh, how these viruses work. And you know, I really started to get interested in the complex, the simple complexity of these viruses. And you know, I'm, I know that can sound kind of like an oxymoron, but the virus itself is simple. And so it's you know something that you can kind of you know study this one thing and then another and not you know have too many uh, things to look at, but you know, these viruses do have to uh, grow in a cell, right? And so the cells themselves are complex. And uh, it's really, you know, the interesting thing about that is a lot of the things that we know about our cells and cell biology came through studying viruses because these viruses have to overtake or block certain parts in the pathway of cells in order for them to, to survive in them. And so we learned about certain aspects of cells um, through that. Um you know, while I was in graduate school, I ended up working on a uh, particular stomatitis virus for my graduate work. Uh, this is an arthropod-borne uh, virus. Uh, we, we call it VSV for short, and they can infect uh, cattle and horses here uh, in the U.S., and it's transmitted by uh, biting flies. Um, you know, but through this, I really wanted to find a, um, a, a connection of the nuts and bolts of knowing the viruses, but also looking at uh, pathogenesis. And so... Um, this is the way that um, the folks will look to see how a virus can infect and go through uh, cells. And so I worked uh, with this, um, my mentor, Thomas Geispert, who was mentioned in the hot zone. He worked uh, with Ebola and developed Ebola vaccines. And like, through that work, I learned about host pathogen interactions and worked with animal models. And uh, this previous work was done uh, as an associate professor position at the University of Texas Medical Branch at the Galveston National Laboratory, where they work at Biosafety Level 3 and Level 4. Uh, but my, my main focus then was on the human side of the disease. So I'm excited about coming here and working on the arthropod to animal to potential uh, human um, interactions here uh, at NBAF and, you know, working within these animal models to test vaccines and uh, treatments that can, uh, you know, help protect our livestock. Well, it's interesting, you know, so many of these are spread by mosquitoes, and I, it always makes me wonder, as somebody who's not uh, a scientist or anything, you know, why not just eradicate mosquitoes altogether? They must serve some sort of purpose, otherwise that would be probably happening. 
Yeah, that's like, you know, um, you know, you have to have every everything that's out there in the ecosystem has a part to play, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, once you remove one thing, uh, then, you know, you have different downstream effects from there. It's like, you know, if you wanted to get rid of uh, bees because, you know, you had too many around your area and too many people are getting stung, you know, you're going to have some effect uh, there. So it is like that with mosquitoes. Um, you know, you can, like, try to limit certain uh, ones that, uh, you know, these viruses can only grow in certain um, certain types of mosquitoes, um, you know, but they have some ones where, you know, they at least try to go through where they are kind of trying to knock down the amount of mosquitoes that are around. All right. Well, what do you what do you think about uh, the Manhattan area so far? You said you you've you've been here for a little bit. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So I've uh, my wife and I came and visited in November to check out the Manhattan area to see if we were were interested in making this uh, the jump from um, Galveston, Texas, to here. And uh, I've been up here for for the last week, uh, just kind of you know coming in and, and doing meetings that are here. Uh, I'll be moving in. Uh, at the end of May, but, you know, it was really striking uh, coming in. We, we uh, flew into Kansas City and drove through, and, you know, the first thing you kind of really notice as you get closer to Manhattan is, you know, the unique and, like, very beautiful uh, Flint Hills that you, like, start to drive through and going past the Kanza Prairie, and uh, we were we were really, you know, we were really pleased to see the scenic beauty, beauty that was there. Like, you know, I live on the Gulf of Mexico right now, but, uh, you know, it's fairly flat. <laughs> so it was very nice to like see these uh, the foothills that were here, and uh, all the spaces and parks. And looks like you know there's gonna be some nice uh, hiking trails and whatnot that we can you know go through with our kids. Uh, and you know uh, here the school systems are really great, so you know excited to get my uh, my family here. And you know this will be the first time that you know I have my family growing up in an area where there's gonna be an undergraduate university. You know I work at a medical un- I used to work at a medical university, so. I'm excited about the the energy that's here, and you know, being able to interact with the uh, undergrads uh, as well. That's exciting. You know, and um, you know, this Manhattan area, like as far as like the work that we're coming to do here, is going to be great for research partner partnerships. You know, we already have a group. My group, uh, Fabadru, is is already here and working. Uh, they're not working in NBAF, um because there's no uh, lab work going on here at the, at this current current time. But they've been interacting and collaborating with the Kansas State University's um, faculty at the Biosecurity Research Institute uh, for quite some time using their biosafety level facilities uh, doing this arthropod uh, borne disease research. And, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, our, our group was able to present some research about Japanese encephalitis as a part of the Swine Health Information Center's uh, webinar. And, um, you know, we have work that's ongoing here that's looking at pathogenesis or, you know, the path that a virus takes to infect the host and cause disease uh, in these animal models. And uh, we're looking at vaccines and treatments for these and working on creating good diagnostic tools so we're prepared uh, if these foreign um, arthropod diseases do uh, come into the U.S. And, uh, you know, while we have all this work going on at KSU, this really is going to help our team build this up. We're still being able to provide science that's impactful uh, currently, and, you know, we'll be ready to hit the ground running once we're able to move and, and then start doing the scientific work here at NBAS. Now, if you can do this research at the BRI, what are you uh, or your team looking forward to as you prepare to move into the facility? 
Well, Brian, we're really looking forward to moving into this world-class facility that we have here and, you know, have space that we can call our own. Uh, you know, it's great uh, working with our collaborators at uh, the Viral Research Institute, um, but we, you know, we're, we're really able to have this our own space and be able to work, um, you know, however we would like uh, in there. And, you know, so, you know, the equipment and facility aspects that a scientist would want and need to do research on infectious diseases are available here. We are at top-of-the-line um, uh, equipment. And, you know, um, in addition, we have in-bath security, safety features, and uh, the required training that makes, you know, that InBev has that's making a considerable effort to create a strong safety culture here among the employees. And uh, the, the size of the facility, uh, Brandon, for me was really uh, amazing coming. I mean, I come from a very uh, nice facility down in Galveston, Texas, and just the scale of this building and the research possibilities, uh, you know, that this is not available anywhere in the U.S. right now. I'm really excited to be able to come here and do this work. You know, and through these studies uh, in large animals with these viruses, you know, we can learn how to weaken the virus and develop vaccines. Uh, you know, at the heart of this uh, vaccine development, you know, we're really working on ways to, you know, prevent the virus from getting past um, the immune system of these animals. And, you know, these uh, vaccines can give animals, you know, their immune systems uh, the ability to recognize the virus and attack it before it can invade and destroy the animal cells, right? And, like, this is going to give us the ability to prevent maybe, you know, these viruses that come through from taking hold in our livestock populations and then, therefore, you know, um, you know, protecting our, our, our livestock. All right, again, we're talking with uh, Dr. Chad Meir, research leader for the Foreign Arthropod-Born Animal Disease Research Unit at NBAF. We'll step aside, take a break, and uh, more with our NBAF folks here in a moment at News Radio KMAN. We're back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN. And uh, just a quick note here for our listening audience uh, we will uh, not be taking any phone calls here uh, today because uh, we got to kind of move the program along here. We've got some other segments we got to get to. So I want to make sure we give our guests plenty of time to. Uh, discuss uh, their topics here. We've got Dr. Ken Burton, Katie Pulaski, and uh, Dr. Chad Meir joining us here today from the National Bio and Agro-Defense Facility. Uh, Katie, can you give us an update about the construction and commissioning milestones at NBAF right now? Yeah, I sure can, Brandon. Um, so the Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate that's building NBAF um, is still on track to complete construction this spring and commissioning in the summer. So most of that final construction work being done is in containment. Um, so on the positive side, with COVID numbers decreasing, the rest of our NBAS team who has not already been on-site performing duties has been able to begin transitioning from telework into the actual workplace uh, starting last week. Um, so, And many of us have actually been able to move directly into our offices at, at NBAS. That is exciting. I mean, that's been a, that's a long time coming. Yeah, it sure is. Over two years for a lot of us. So, yeah. so knowing that, what? How has the transition back into the office been going for you? So yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a great uh, couple of weeks. Um, you know, for me especially, and and a lot of my team as strong extroverts, <laughs> um, it's been really uplifting and exciting to see people and have meetings again in person. Um, some of these people, you know, I haven't met before other than virtually. And others I haven't seen in person in more than two years. <clears throat> you know, it's always fun, Brandon, to meet people that you've been communicating with virtually or 
um, or over the phone in person because they, you know, they might be taller or shorter than you expect. Um, but it's, it's also been a really great time for us to develop our culture, you know, as everyone starts to actually work side by side. Everything we do at InBath is so interconnected, um, and every area affects other areas. So this time of getting reacquainted, both personally and professionally, is so important, um, really, in, in helping us build trust um, among each other as well. So we're, um, we're also really excited to, to be able to meet more of our Plum Island colleagues. Um, as travel restrictions are, are now starting to lift. Uh, we look forward to learning more uh, from them and celebrating their, their recent accomplishments. And one really exciting accomplishment, Brandon, um, Dr. Borka, who's a scientist in the Foreign Animal Disease Research Unit, so FADRU, <laughs> um, which is located at Plum Island, and that's one of those research units on the ARS side that will transfer to NBAS. Um, but he was just recognized by the Agricultural Research Service as a Distinguished Senior Research Scientist of the Year uh, for his research on African swine fever vaccine development, um, and that really hopes to offer and um, to bring hope to swine producers uh, across the world. So being able to meet co our colleagues at Plum Island really helps us bridge our, our MBAS culture development efforts with those, and um, again, with our team here, as well as those who will be eventually coming from Plum Island uh, sooner than later. Well, that's exciting. And, you know, one thing that not seeing people in two years, people's hair probably looks a little grayer. Would you say that's fair to say? <laughs> I'm sure mine probably does, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dr. Burton, what sort of uh, things are NBAF employees starting to focus on that you didn't have to do as much before this transition into the facility? Well, uh, short answer is tremendous number of things, Brandon. And as Katie mentioned, you know, we're, we're really meet, meeting some significant milestones that we've planned on uh, that, that allow us to uh, reach our goals for construction and operational stand-up, and, and now as we're moving uh, into the science, uh, the stand-up, the scientific programs, you know, bringing in, uh, building the research teams, bringing in uh, great leadership like Dr. Mir uh, to Manhattan. Uh, there's just a lot of things going on right now that people are focusing on uh, that we've been planning for, but now, now it's definitely uh, in the active mode. And, uh, you know, everybody's excited about getting to move back into the facility uh, here at the K-State Foundation temporary office space, but then also excited for sure about being able to move into the MBAS facility for the first time. So uh, the end of March, we were able to bring our unit leads in, and then uh, we'll be bringing in our supervisors and uh, some of the admin staff uh, next Monday, actually. So, you know, as, as we've talked in the past, everything moving forward will continue to occur in phases uh, as we get everybody moved back in and, and into uh, the facility. So this week, uh, big focus area and, and main efforts have been on what's called full fit-out within the containment area. So uh, the listeners may remember that we had completed full fit-out outside of the containment barrier last fall, and uh, now this is happening within the areas inside the containment barrier. So Basically, when we talk full fit-out, this involves, if you could turn the building upside down, full fit-out would involve equipment, supplies, consumables, everything that would fall to the ceiling when you turn the building upside down, so everything that's not really tied down to the floor. 
Uh, and all of those things are being brought in by a contractor and being placed within their appropriate areas. So this began a couple of weeks ago and will continue over the next few weeks. And as you can guess, taking a lot of coordination with DHS and the construction uh, partners so that it doesn't interfere with ongoing commissioning procedures. And then we've got a lot of uh, inter-unit interaction personnel from multiple units that are participating to support full fit-out, uh, ranging from our safety, health, environmental management group, uh, document control, lab support services, and others to ask active escorts to make sure everything gets in the right place. Um, our our bio-risk management group has been in the facility performing uh, validation testing on the many autoclaves within NBAS. Uh, and now that we're moving into the facilities, our occupational health nurses are ensuring that our employees have access to, to any health care needs or um, any pre-screening that they might need as they uh, get ready to move into their activities within the facility. And then our SHIM team's been working with uh, local and state officials to prepare for the transfer of permits from DHS to USDA that come along with completion of the construction and, and the transfer of ownership later this year. Um, our teams are testing their standard operating procedures and work instructions within the areas that they'll be working in soon uh, through the cooperation and collaboration with DHS and, and the construction contractor. And, and then, as I mentioned, uh, we're really excited to see our scientific teams growing and, and coming closer to where uh, they'll become operational in, in their research. So lots, lots of areas uh, to focus on and lots of things going on, but uh, everything is definitely really exciting right now. And can you tell us a bit about the LEED certification that NBAF was just awarded? Oh, sure. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. Uh, DHS has been very uh, proactive and, and very visionary in, in building NBAF uh, as energy efficient uh, and green as it, it can be. You can guess with the amount of air purification systems and the amount of waste purification and disposal and the amount of air that has to move through a facility like NBAF to make it safe. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of power that's necessary and, and a lot of uh, air movement and waste disposal. So um, NBAF has been at the silver level of certification for the LEED, uh, which is the Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It's an international program developed by the U.S. Green Building Council. Uh, it's been at the silver level for uh, several years now, and uh, they just received the gold certification uh, from LEEDS. And so the top certification is uh, platinum, so it's the next to the top level. And what this means is that NBAF exceeded the expectations for sustainable development. Um, NBAF is the first and only large-scale federal biocontainment laboratory facility in the United States to achieve LEED gold certification. So this is, this is really a significant achievement. Um, labs like the NBAP, you know, can be very energy intensive, but uh, they, they work this sustainable design and efficient interior systems uh, into the design to help the federal government be good stewards of the, the resources um, that run the facility and, and also continue to provide that safe and secure setting for animals in the facility and also the people who work in and around it. So quite a quite a significant achievement for for DHS and and for NBAP. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good stuff. 
Well, it's uh, always a lot going on at NBAF, and we appreciate uh, the transparency that you guys give us each month, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next month, Dr. Burton, Katie, and uh, thank you to Dr. Mir as well. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for having me. You bet. Stay tuned. We'll have more in focus uh, continuing here in a moment. We're going to be hearing from uh, Donna Shank Hamlin and uh, Kern Kanan. Uh, in just a moment, we'll be talking about Kansas Voter Registration Day, which is next week. Stay tuned. Welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. It is a Thursday morning, and today we're going to be talking about uh, something coming up next Tuesday. In fact, uh, Governor Laura Kelly is scheduled to sign a proclamation for Kansas Voter Registration Day, which is Tuesday, April 12th. Joining us here to discuss that and other activities involving civic engagement, we have two guests. Uh, Kern Kanan, president of Wildcats Vote at Kansas State University, is here with us. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We'll uh, bring on our other guests here in just a moment, but uh, I want to start with you, Kern. Uh, students getting out and registering to vote, uh, it's so important. They're always on the move. Um, what is your role there? I guess first talk about your organization and what you guys do at K-State. Right. So... Um, I'm the president of Wildcats Vote. We are a nonpartisan, independent student organization at K-State. And our primary goal is getting students registered to vote. Um, Starting around in 2018, we kind of noticed a lot of students weren't registered to vote, um, even if they were concerned about the political process. And so we really went at trying to get students resources, information on how to vote, where to vote, for each election cycle. Um, and that's kind of been our process and we plan on continuing continue, continuing it into 2022. Do you find uh, since that time, maybe there's been more of a push or, or, or are you finding more college students getting uh, interested in this process? Of course, we saw a push in 2020. Um, I think with the obvious nature of that election, a lot of students, um, saw politics daily, um, which helped us in terms of getting students registered. Um, our fear is a little bit that some students might be burned out, um, but we really are, have been trying to stress that this upcoming primary election and of course the upcoming midterms um, are still important for them. All right, well, we'll have more on that. We're gonna also bring on the program uh, Donna Shank Hamlin who uh, is representing the League of Women Voters. She also works in the uh, Institute for Civic Discourse and Democracy there at K-State. Donna, thanks for being here. This uh, registration date uh, being April 12th, uh, I guess uh, a lot of us will have a question. We're not anywhere near an election. Why April 12th for this date? Well, I'll start by saying that there is a National Voter Registration Day. It is held on the 3rd Tuesday of September every year. It's been around for a while and it serves as a reminder to people that the November elections are coming up and League of Women Voters as well as a lot of uh, organizations have used that as a catalyst to get people to revisit, if they haven't registered already, revisit their possible name changes, address changes that it might have occurred since the majority of people usually just participate in national elections and November is recognized as a big event. But uh, why not draw attention in Kansas to the fact that we have primaries every summer and get people involved 
and reminded that they need to participate as much in those local elections or primary elections as the national one. So that's what actually excited a previous president of Wildcats Vote into proposing to the governor that a Kansas voter registration day happens sometime in the spring. We see voter turnout. I, I cover elections each year here for the radio station, but you know, voter turnout is typically around 20 to 30, maybe 40 percent if you're lucky, especially on the bigger election years. Imagine what that could be if we had greater participation and that this is maybe a, a good starting point. Yeah, April is a really good time. It just turns out that this is the week that the residence halls at K-State are prompting students to let them know whether they're going to stay at that address. And so it's a perfect time when people are beginning to make their plans for the next year. If you're a student and know you're going to have a change of address to start making a plan on where and how they're going to be voting in August. It's just a really good alignment in April. Yeah, certainly. And, and Kern, I guess uh, the idea here is even if you're not going to be registered here in Riley County, you get registered to vote because your vote matters. Exactly. Our main concern is that K-State students are voting. Um, we don't bias in that and saying that you have to vote in Riley County. Um, we just want you to vote anywhere. Um, it's your civic duty. And as a K-State student, you should be concerned with the community you're from or the community you're living in. And it's not hard to get access to vote. I I haven't done it in a while, but uh, explain the process of uh, what you need to have with you and, and where to go. Yeah, so it's pretty simple, honestly. Um, all you need is a valid form of identification. Um, most people have that with a, a driver's license. Um, and the Secretary of State has a, a pretty simple website you can go through. And then there's also KS Votes, which we've found to be very helpful in terms of getting people registered to vote. Um, simple online process. Um, if you're not technically savvy, um, there are online forms that you can print off and mail. Um, so there are a lot of resources to getting registered to vote um, quite simply. Do you ever come across any, uh, any folks uh, in your interactions that don't have a photo ID? And, and if so, then what's their next step? It's rare that we have someone in that case. Um, but then we go into finding out, okay, if it's a K-State student, um, their K-State student ID actually works, being that it's issued by the university, it's issued by the government. Um, if they're not a K-State student, we can help them find resources through the Secretary of State um, in finding a valid form of identification. Um, they're helpful and all you have to do is send them an email or even just find resources online that might be of help okay i didn't think about the yeah of course the uh, k-state photo id would certainly be a, a benefit there all right so donna the registration process I, I know it can be complicated here especially if you're on the move but uh kind of explain uh some of the steps that students should consider here moving forward especially if they are you know, plan to be here or somewhere else in the fall? Well, planning is the key word here. And that's why we have this early notification and early reminder of people that it takes time to stop and consider. Even the form that the federal government offers raises a question of what you mean by address. 
And so what we say in League of Women Voters is the address is the right, the particular county where you plan on using their ballot, whether you're going to ask for an advance ballot from that county or whether you're planning on being there on election day or in some of the advanced days leading up to the election that are now allowed. So by saying, oh, I'm going to make a plan, you can consider where do you want to be voting? And that's critical because of the multiple ballot styles that occur across this distributed system of election administration. All right, Kern, I imagine that at some point we're going to see um, you know, more activities here on campus encouraging folks to vote. Uh, but uh, you know, we've also seen the last couple of years there's other avenues to reach out to students, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it can be on campus, whether that be at the student union um, or around campus, but we've seen it a lot more uh, helpful to go through social media, especially with the pandemic. Um, a lot of our messaging switched onto social media, and we find that students feel more comfortable getting registered to vote um, in the comfort of their own home rather than at a table in the middle of a busy student union. Um, we're comfortable with doing both avenues um, in person and online, so we want to open that up for students in both aspects. All right, and Donna, this is a, you know maybe not a presidential election, but there's some important things on the ballot that you know you got time now. Uh, this is probably a good time to to study and see what's on your respective ballot, and you've got some information on that. I know that is right. Uh, the League of Women Voters actually has a website called Vote411.org that allows people to examine what their particular ballot is going to have on it. But given how difficult it was for people to follow the news in the last week of the legislative session to know which of the proposed constitutional amendments was finally going to make it, it's good to have resources like that so that you can find out that there will actually be one constitutional amendment in the summer primary or special election, and there will be two in November. You can find all of that information out on vote411.org and even specific to your particular polling site. All right. Donna, without going into too much detail, what are the three constitutional amendments that people will be voting on this year? Okay. Well, there's going to be only one on August 2nd. And the title of it is the Kansas No Right to Abortion in Constitution Amendment. That's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> but the, in November, we're going to have two constitutional amendments. One is called the Kansas County Sheriff Election and Recall Amendment. And the other one is the Kansas Legislative Veto or Suspension of Executive Action Regulations Amendment. So those two are going to be in November. But the one that a lot of people are talking right now about that we were pretty sure for several months was going to go on the August election is called Kansas No Right to Abortion in Constitution Amendment. All right. Being an informed voter is so important. And uh, we appreciate uh, both uh, Donna and Kern spending some time with us here. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN, and joining us here for this uh, final segment of the program, we're talking with Tim Schaefer, who is the uh, director of the Institute for Civic Discourse and Democracy at Kansas State University. Good morning, sir. Good morning. It's great to be here with you. Absolutely. We were just talking with your colleagues in the uh, previous segment 
uh, Donna Shank Hamlin and uh, Kern Kanan, and uh, learning a lot here about uh, April 12th being uh, Kansas Voter Registration Day. The proclamation will be coming from the governor, and uh, you know it's 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 very good. Uh, thing here we're doing here because you know we talk a lot about civic engagement and the importance of it and uh, boy i know the icdd has a lot of information it pushes out throughout the year to encourage people to be more engaged yeah no it's great i mean and you know a lot of appreciation to uh, governor kelly for um you know here in the in the very near future right this proclamation about voter um, registration day is a really important thing right especially um as as we think about um you know kind of these reminders of sorts right uh for for some people if they've long been registered and if they haven't moved around it's just part and parcel of life right i go down to the you know to the to the fire hall or to the school or to the church and and i and i you know, I, I, I vote and, and I do my thing. But for others, uh, particularly those who are younger, who are maybe coming of age, uh, who are able to vote, or if they've maybe never voted in the past and they realize that maybe they do want to and such, like the the opportunities and why elevating these things sometimes, like a, a Kansas Voter Re- Registration Day, for example, is to remind people, oh, yeah, right, I have moved. Is my address correct? Um, you know, and maybe I've never been registered, and what do I need to do? So a little bit of prompting there, and especially as, as an institution, as a land grant, you know, addressing the needs and response uh, to, to the students here on campus is really important, but also more broadly. Um, democracy is fundamentally based on people having voice and agency. Voting, in many ways, is kind of a, a baseline of what that means and what that looks like when we think about being engaged, right? There's a uh, a really important dimension that shapes who's in office and what decisions are made, and whether we're talking at the state or local levels. And so so voting is a really important act in democracy. It's not the only one. And as we've, you know, you and I have talked about in in the past for some of the, um, the discussions, for example, locally about the reuse of the ninth grade building and, and other things, there are ways to become more actively engaged and involved in the work of, of civic life. Um, but voting is a really important piece along with that and is a is a kind of a, a I don't want to say this in a bad way, but I'm saying this in a positive way. It's kind of a basic kind of foundational sort of thing. And so these are chances for people to be reminded of that and realize, especially if they've had anything that might have altered where um, their registration is, right? So if they're a student, did I move apartments? Um, if I if I'm not right, but I've 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 moved across town or from from someplace else, maybe from out of state. I came here uh, you know, as part of you know, part of the military, for example. Like these are things because there are deadlines. Uh, because what always happens is when there are primaries, and especially uh, for for the, the the elections, that you can sometimes forget. Like oh shoot, I I didn't do that. But you at that point you've already missed the deadline and it's too late, right? So this is a chance. This is an opportunity. This is a reminder. That you don't want to be too late. Absolutely, and you know, and I know that your uh, department there probably has a certain role um, that it plays here. I know there's some federal um, federal uh, things tied to that as well as why ICDD um, has to promote this. But uh, you know, obviously, it, it falls in line with everything you do already. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so the Institute for Civic Discourse and Democracy at K-State really does play the role of kind of being the hub for anything kind of under this big umbrella of democracy and voting is an important piece of that. So we 
we play that kind of uh, central role, organizing, collaborating with uh, with particularly students who you spoke to just a bit ago, uh, with Wildcat Votes um, and others. And so we we function as that kind of backbone for a lot of these efforts on campus, and in some respects, sometimes collaborating when it makes sense. And and the scenario for the Kansas Voter Registration Day and things like that would be an example of how do we also kind of amplify these messages well beyond, since our institute does a lot of public-facing work. Um, importantly, and uh, we were just doing some paperwork for this not too long ago, uh, the government, especially if uh, an institution receives um, federal funding and the like, they want to know that you're doing certain numbers of things, and one of them is is this, right? So this kind of civic dimension, it's not just some aspirational you you ought to do this, but there are some some guidelines and expectations that you are doing this, especially if you are receiving federal funds and as a land grant, you know we fall into that category. And so we we take this work seriously for that reason as well. Um, but I think the you know, even if we didn't um, have that obligation, we would really be committed to it because this is this is an important moment. If for all the reasons that especially you know I've talked about in the past, um, is you know democracy requires. Our society requires us to be active and engaged in some fashion. Voting, again, is one of those ways to have your voice be heard, right? It's a it's an aggregating form of that. Uh, it doesn't require you to sit down in a room with a bunch of other people and hash out the ideas. But it is a chance for you and everyone else who's eligible to vote uh, to do so. And and we strongly encourage people to do that, regardless of, of affiliation or, or ideology or party, whatever whatever it might be. Democracy should be fair and inclusive, and this is one of those ways that we, uh, as much as we can, encourage people to, to think about it, to proactively kind of engage in this. And, you know, COVID has changed that some in, in the past. We weren't able to do as many kind of tabling events, some of the face-to-face things, and some, honestly, some restrictions or concerns about um, restrictions uh, from uh, the state legislature, for example, have altered how some organizations that are really committed to voter registration have uh, stepped back a little bit because they're afraid of potentially being challenged or sued in some way that they are telling people what to do in contrast to simply seeing this work as being an invitation for them to think about voting. Yeah, and, and you know, thinking about voting is a, a good segue here because there are some very important things to consider on the uh, ballots here coming up in August, a constitutional amendment, two constitutional amendments coming up in November as well. And the idea here is being an informed voter and not waiting to the last moment till you get to the ballot box and you're reading that complicated ballot language. You have some time here. You get registered. You get informed. And then you vote as an informed voter coming up in August and November. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is the most important thing. I, you know, uh, political parties and other interested parties will – organizations will – sometimes tell you kind of how to vote. We saw this in the last election cycle here, right? The the language of, you know, the, what was it, the six-pack and other things like that, right? Which, you know, I can I can understand to an extent, but if, if that is to the, the diminishment of having people um, feel that they are making some of their own decisions and thinking about it thoroughly, um, you know, this is, this is the moment. Make sure you're registered. Make sure your address is correct and all of those other things. And if they're not, then get them fixed. They're simple processes relatively, and you can do that. Um, but as you noted, there are some really significant things on the ballot, um, and regardless of what you think about them, it doesn't really matter what you think about them unless you vote, um, because you have made a choice to exclude yourself from that process. 
And if you don't, if, if, here's your here's your lotto language. If you don't play, you don't win. Um, but if you don't participate in these processes, if you aren't showing up in those primaries or in, in the elections, or, or depending on when some of these things show up on ballots for these, these decisions, um, you you really miss out on something that potentially um, shapes your life more dramatically than you might think. So really encouraging people uh, to, to take that seriously. Allow yourself a little bit of time. Don't don't get yourself caught looking at your smartphone real fast trying to figure out what name do I do I put down here or do, do I say yes or no. Ballot initiatives are notoriously poorly written because there's a lot of legalese. And so you have to understand what in the world's going on. And as somebody who has studied this for kind of work for a long time, and, and I voted literally from the moment I could um, when I became um, inappropriate for age, these things are hard to read, even when you do really care a lot about it. So I really encourage people to do what is necessary for you to feel confident, capable, um, and informed in that process. And to, to start that off is to make sure that you can actually become a voter and, and participate in that process later. All right. Again, April 12th is uh, the designated uh, Kansas Voter Registration Day here, the proclamation uh, coming from Governor Laura Kelly. And uh, we encourage people, if you're not registered, go ahead and get registered now. Uh, there's lots of places. We've talked about it here this morning, and um, you can you can go get registered to vote. Dr. Schaefer, appreciate the time as always, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it.